This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we are interviewing UT Southwestern's program, and we have Nader Paradian with us. Nader, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, I have to say that I have a bias. UT Southwestern is one of my favorite programs. I learned a lot about it when I was on the interview trail in the 1990s. Obviously, the great um, Duke Sampson led that program for a long time, and then Hunt Bajer, who's been on our program before. And it is a place that's known for a lot of great things uh, in the great state of Texas. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you think makes UT Southwestern unique? I, I think you've summed up some of the great history of the UT Southwestern program. It is a program with a legacy history of outstanding uh, technical training and technical innovation, uh, as well as outstanding patient care. And I'm very lucky to have uh, joined uh, the program and want to prioritize and continue to uh, highlight that aspect of our training. I think Part of it comes from having multiple hospitals that our trainees uh, go to and, and work with us at, if, you know, across the county hospital that's one of the busiest county hospitals in the country, uh, namely Parkland, and then our university hospital, uh, which we have two of, Zale and Clements. Uh, so it's it's really in the faculty are outstanding, the technical training is outstanding. I've been so impressed with uh, how the residents perform. Uh, even at a junior level, taking on uh, increasing responsibility from a very early stage in their training. So uh, it's a, a wonderful program, and we uh, are absolutely prioritizing continuing that technical excellence. Right. And, you know, maybe you could talk a bit about that training and the way it's structured. You know, in, in the details and the nitty-gritty, the applicants will get when they come to the interviews there and they uh, they get to see the program presented even in a virtual format, but maybe you could talk a bit in broad terms about what the program structure is like between the different years and rotations at these various hospitals. Sure, that's a great question. Something that you're right, we it's hard to deliver uh, in a virtual format, and it's difficult to appreciate until you're here. But I think one of the greatest values of this program lies in the rotation schedule. Uh, which has residents uh, rotating through different services. There's a a functional and vascular service, a tumor service, and a a county service, uh, as well as our other hospitals. But the real key is the alternation between our county hospital and uh, the other hospitals. At the county, it's uh, very hands-on. The residents really run the service. They get to Uh, exercise their uh, technical skills and learn how to really care for patients as the frontline providers. And and then they alternate into uh, our other hospitals where, um, you know, as as some people call it, more of a a private setting and they get to learn some skills working very closely with our attendings. And then they go back to the county hospital uh, and get to exercise and practice those things that they learn uh, with the attendings in a more independent fashion. And, And that happens uh, recursively through the entire uh, training program. And I think what the residents value the most about the way that this this uh, program is structured. The, the one thing that we are augmenting uh, this year is to uh, consolidate what we called our, our research blocks, which are only three-month blocks. 
but there were three or four of them uh, throughout training. And what we're doing is putting those all into one year. And uh, although many of the faculty and trainees are calling it a, a research year, I'm uh, calling it more of a, a discovery year. And what I mean by that is it's a year when residents are expected to dive deeply into something that they are passionate about and become experts in that area. Uh, it could be research, it could be lab research, it could be uh, clinical research, but it could also be something like public health or diving into topics of uh, diversity and equity or whatever that uh, the residents are uh, wanting to uh, define themselves by. Uh, so, you know, really this uh, developing this full academic uh, neurosurgeon where uh, the technical skills are the number one priority and the uh, developing that uh, secondary identity um, with something that you are passionate about um, is the other uh, key element of our training program. Yeah, Nader, one of the really unfortunate aspects of the pandemic and part of the reason why JP and I are doing this is because of the issue of not having the exposure to uh, the other sub-eyes. In other words, people have done sub-eyes and, and they, they go to a place and they really get a feel for it. And I remember when I was interviewing, UT Southwestern was famous because Parkland Hospital was a place where residents, the story was that the general surgery residents would walk around with thoracotomy knives in their, in their pockets, ready to crack open a chest at any turn to do open cardiac massage. And that, that kind of stuff was, was, was somewhat exaggerated, but it was true to, to the heart of the program, which is, you know, people think about Texas being cowboys and you guys have like, I don't want to call it a cowboy program in a negative way, but it is a program that really prides itself on building, I think, um, independence and resilience. Right. And, and one of the things I noticed there is that it seemed to have a strong vascular emphasis um, and maybe that's because of Hunt and, uh, and Duke's influence. Um, do you feel that it still has that very strong emphasis on vascular? So I, I think uh, there is still a, a very strong tradition of uh, supervascular work here, but uh, we have uh, outs all the disciplines of neurosurgery extremely well covered. We have, you know, uh, again, I think that, that history of supervascular uh, does weave through the program, but we had an outstanding tumor service uh, with uh, Sam Barnett and Torl Patel. We've got an outstanding functional service uh, with uh, Brad Lega covering epilepsy, myself covering uh, the deep brain simulation and pain. Uh, we have um, a spine center, which is uh, really unique, and there's more of these popping up across the country, but it's an interdisciplinary spine center where we have uh, orthopedics and, spine and neurosurgery working together in a single uh, entity along with uh, non-operative providers, uh, which I think is an outstanding training experience to see how you can work across disciplines to uh, deliver the best possible care. Pediatrics also, um, I think, is a hidden treasure here. You know, we have six pediatric neurosurgeons uh, delivering top-notch uh, pediatric neurosurgical care. So I, I really think we, we do have um, everything uh, covered here. Uh, we, we still pride ourselves on the strong history that uh, Duke and Hunt uh, brought the program through in cerebrovascular work, but we are reaching out and becoming uh, leaders in all those areas. Uh, you know, there's, I've been talking about how great the residents are, but I, I have to say the attendings and their technical skills, their clinical judgment is second to none here as well, and, and they are great mentors. You know, speaking as you as you referred there to how great the residents are, maybe we could talk a bit about them since a, another 
uh, of the horrible negative side effects of these virtual interviews is that the applicants don't get to meet the people in your program. So maybe you could speak a bit about the personalities within the program and in general, the personality of the program itself. What's the culture like among the residents there? It's a great question. And uh, as you can imagine, a better question to ask the residents, but I'll t tell you, sure. my impression. Um, you know, th the first thing I, I just joined UT Southwestern in April and um, I think one of the best decisions I made was that the very first people I met with was all the residents. I met with each of them individually and got to learn a lot about what they loved about the program and even the things that they, they want to see uh, improve about the program. And we've been responding to those, but the things that they love uh, again, were, was the training, but they also really appreciated the camaraderie, uh, the ability and the desire for everyone to watch out for one another and support one another. Um, I think they have an outstanding relationship outside of the hospital, um, you know, celebrating each other's wins, you know, excited about where each one goes after they uh, finish their training here. Um, and I've seen it firsthand uh, as I've been here. There, There is uh, not a single resident that I've seen, you know, quote, quote unquote, throw someone under the bus. They they all come to each other's rescue and support and and want to be there for one another. So I think in terms of uh, hospitable environments and uh, not just hospitable, but, uh, you know, sort of a, nur a nurturing environment, I think they do a great job of doing that for one another. And I think that we are, uh, as a faculty, trying to create that, uh, as the popular saying is now, a, a wellness environment to make sure that everyone uh, is achieving the most that they can uh, by you know, having having that uh, place that they want to work at. Sure. And, you know, when they're not at that place where they want to work, the residents still have a life outside the hospital. Maybe you could tell our listeners a bit about what life is like living in Dallas. Uh, you know, th these days it seems like Austin gets all the attention and Austin is the big craze. But I have a number of friends and family who have visited or moved to Dallas in the past few years, and I, I can't hear enough good things about it. What's life like down there? Yeah, yeah. Dallas is, a, again, I'm, I'm a newbie to Dallas, uh, but it's a, a big city that's easy to live in. Uh, you know, it's really easy to get around. There's great food. There's uh, great activities um, not too far away. You know, you can drive and be uh, at a lake, not an ocean. Uh, you can uh, get out and go for uh, hikes. There's a big outdoor uh activity uh, scene here between uh, biking and, and running and sports. Uh, sports, as you can imagine, are a huge deal here uh, between uh, football and uh, basketball and uh, golf as well. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of things you can do. I, you know, when I was moving here, people said, you know, Dallas, is, you know, there, there's no, there are no mountains here and there's no beaches here. Uh, but there's great people and there's great living. And I think that pretty much sums it up. It's a great quality of life. Um, and, you know, we're central in the country, so it's easy to get anywhere you want to and uh, enjoy life. Excellent. Well, we want to respect your time and uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today to give the applicants this year an inside look into what neurosurgery is like at UT Southwestern. Thank you so much for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you. Hi, welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're here with another installment in our residency spotlights for the 2021-22 uh, interview season. We are overjoyed to be joined today by Dr. Paul Mazaris, the program director at Spectrum Health, Michigan State University, a relatively young residency program in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dr. Mazaris, welcome to the show. 
thank you for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm absolutely delighted. And as I told you gentlemen earlier, I'm in awe. <laughs> That's very kind. That's very kind. But today uh, we are here to feature you and more importantly to feature your program. So with that in mind, uh, why don't you take a moment and let our listeners know a bit about yourself, Dr. Mazaris, and then a bit about the program you've put together there at Spectrum. So um, the program at uh, Spectrum Health Michigan State University is a fairly new program. Um, we have currently four residents, so we got our first resident four years ago. Uh, and currently right now we're going through the stages of interviewing as all the other programs are. Um, we are generally um, a APP run service that is slowly integrating residents uh, into the fold and um, essentially, in, in a few more years, we'll have a full complement of, of seven residents. Um, we're located in Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, and affiliated with Michigan State University. The uh, other Michigan State University residency program is based in Detroit, Michigan. So we're kind of a sleeper program, uh, mainly because we are on the west side of the state. When people think of Michigan, uh, I know they specifically think of Detroit, and we are approximately 120 miles west. So we're kind of in our own own little bubble uh, on the west side of the state. Um, and we uh, have the residency program out of uh, Butterworth Hospital uh, and Blodgett Hospital, our two main hospitals, which are in uh, Grand Rapids and East Grand Rapids. You know, I have really enjoyed, as I was saying before we started recording, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with relatively young, newer residency programs, because there's always this energy and this air of excitement and change and looking forward to new things. And so in that mindset, Dr. Mazaris, I wonder if you could talk about what was in the air and what was in the minds of you and your partners when you made the decision to switch from a primarily uh, APP-driven service to taking residents, training another generation of surgeons and with that mindset, what kind of culture you're seeking to establish from the bottom up, from the ground up, with uh, your ever-growing complement year after year? So that's a good question. The hospital, uh, Grand Rapids, is a fairly large city. It's approximately over a million people in the metro uh, area. So it can get very rural uh, the further out you go. But the whole program and the idea was started by Dr. Kostelasevich, who is uh, essentially my mentor and uh, majority of the staff's mentor, he came here approximately 10 years ago with the, um, I guess, the dream of building a residency program. And in a few short years, he, he, he got one running and got one started. So he hand-selected and hand-picked all the, uh, the staff on board. We have a fairly young um, complement of staff neurosurgeons as well. Um, he had the idea he wanted to, to start, start a program and, and get something going. Michigan State University is out here. The MD school is located in the city, the hospital, and the whole facility is, is kind of connected with tunnels and bridges. So he uh, essentially came out here to the Wild West by himself and slowly built the program. I, I, not really slowly. He, he got it up and going fairly quickly. Um, he is an epilepsy surgeon, so his, his focus was on epilepsy. And he slowly hand-selected staff to build each uh, discipline of neurosurgery. Um, and with, with as, as kind of more and more physicians um, uh, came into the program and the, 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 the neurosurgery program itself grew, um, we started obviously selecting residents. Um, and it's kind of growing uh, on its own right now. Um, we have a full 
complement and uh, discipline of all uh, ass- assets of, of neurosurgery. Um, it can be challenging at times too, because when we first started, I've been here for six years now, it was mainly uh, run by the APPs. And as we have slowly accrued more uh, residents, it's, it's slowly changing and uh, evolving on its own. You know, Dr. Mazaris, I think one of the exciting things I imagine about training at a program that's new like Spectrum Health is that when you're one of, it would be five residents in this coming year, you pretty much get your pick of anything that you want to do in terms of the operative cases that you select, uh, the, the clinic that you go to, the procedures that you do on the floor. Is that the case? And what type of specialties are represented uh, when it comes to uh, the operating the operating room on a daily basis? And you know what, what are your program's strengths and weaknesses when it comes to that? So that's a really good question, and it's uh, multi-tiered. So, um, you know, it, it's it's really interesting because the we have a extremely large uh, volume of cases at at the hospital. We we have over, um, I, I believe, around twenty seven hundred trauma admissions a year. We're the, the busiest ER in the state, and I think one in in the, in the country because we have. Um, the two large hospitals here uh, with, with large ERs are, are the Butterworth uh, ER is, is, is large. Um, and it, it's funny because you, you have these, these young residents, first and second and third year residents who are, are going into these very complex cases that um, I didn't get to get myself involved in my training until I was a PGY uh, six or seven. So the case diversity is vast. Um, it, it's interesting having uh, young residents in these complex cases because I don't think they can completely appreciate uh, what they're seeing or what they're doing. And it, it doesn't really come until later in training when you fully get a grasp on, on, on the things you're doing and, and the understanding of, of why you're doing it. Um, in, in terms of uh, the multidiscipline aspect of our program, we have um, an extremely robust uh, vascular program. We've uh, are the busiest stroke center. We're a comprehensive stroke center, and we uh, have the, the busiest, busiest stroke center in the state of Michigan. Uh, we did close to 200 mechanical thrombectomies over the past uh, three years. We have a very robust uh, movement, uh, functional, and epilepsy uh, discipline as well. We have uh, skull-based cases, um, and we have our own pediatric hospital, which is approximately, uh, I want to say around 250 beds, close to 300 beds. Uh, and we have a pretty, uh, pretty strong um, spine and pain management center as well. So I imagine uh, in a program that was created in such a deliberate and designed and desired fashion as yours, there must be a fairly cohesive view for the philosophy, the culture, the personality of the resident complement you're trying to construct. So maybe you could talk a bit about the group you have so far, what the personalities are like, and, and in that light, what kind of people you're looking for to continue to grow your group of residents. Sure thing. Um, so um, it, it's interesting because when you come to a training program, you try to grasp, you know, the social culture uh, of the program. And, you know, when, when we all went to, went on the trail and tried to learn as much as we could about a program, you get most of uh, your information and just the, uh, the, the construct of, the, of the, the service from the, from the residents, the, the junior residents and the chief residents and programs I specifically went to had, you know, two to three residents a year. So, so for us, it's, it's difficult because um, 
when we have new uh, interviewees coming through, they meet the residents, but at the same time, we are also, the, the staff is also um, acting as residents because we are essentially the chief residents for the junior residents. So we kind of interact much more and much closer to the interviewees, not only the interviewees coming in, but also the residents. So it's interesting because when we, we interviewed, when we interviewed our first resident in, in the, uh, the other residents as well, we kind of, you know, explain to them that this is a, it's a young program and we're bringing you on. You can shape the program how you feel the program should be shaped. You can actually take ownership of the program. So I think that was kind of compelling for a lot of our residents who came on and, and enticing to them because it, it's, it's a new program. It, it's, it's a white sheet of paper and, and they're able to, you know, color it how they want to color it. So it, it's interesting. We have our growing pains as well. Um, but you know, there's drawbacks to it and there's, there's positives to it. I, I think the positives far outweigh the drawbacks. Um, and you know, it, it, it's difficult for a lot of the staff, especially the older staff to, uh, kind of work closer with, with the residents, but our program has fairly young, uh, neurosurgical staff that are eager and hungry and, um, willing to participate in, in the training. You know, I think what you mentioned about the attendings acting as chief residents to some of the younger residents is pretty unique. That's something that, of course, can only be experienced in, you know, a young program like yours where uh, the, the attendings actually have that one-on-one -on -one interaction with the residents. So as we wrap up, I just wanted to shift the conversation slightly to, you know, the uh, the training environment in the city. Now, I know you're no stranger to Michigan neurosurgery having trained in Detroit, but how is life in Grand Rapids, Michigan on the west side of the state and what is there to do and what do the residents do for fun? Um, good question. So it's known as Beer City. Uh, we have a lot of breweries in, 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 the, uh, in, in the downtown area. Um, so there's a lot of uh, get-togethers with the residents outside uh, of the hospital. The city itself is, um, it's a big city, but it's not um, too big. There's really no traffic. Um, we have, a, you know, an arena stadium here. It's a smaller venue. Um, but for the most part, it's, it's a quiet city, um, but it's a busy city. Um, compared to Detroit, Detroit is, you know, a large, very large city with about, I think there's about 5 million people in the metropolitan area. We, um, this, the city of Grand Rapids itself is very small. We're the, we're the largest uh, healthcare provider in the city. Um, the, 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 the other thing that's different too, is the trauma. There's a lot less penetrating trauma and more motor vehicle accidents or even ATV, uh, trauma, but, um, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a New York city. It's not a Chicago or an LA. It's, I would say it's uh, a little bit, uh, in between, um, a little bit less than, than a large city, but it's busy enough to, to, uh, experience, um, you know, culture as well as, um, uh, very diverse, um, you know, medical trauma and uh, pathology. Well, I certainly wouldn't mind uh, training in a place called Beer City. But uh, <laughs> Dr. Mazaris, we want to respect your time. Uh, we're really grateful for you coming on the show today and sharing this inside look into the program with the applicants this virtual interview season. So thank you for coming on the Neurosurgery Podcast to share with our listeners uh, that inside scoop on Spectrum Health, Michigan State University Neurosurgery. Thanks for coming on, sir. Thanks for having me, guys.
Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast, where today we are continuing our features of neurosurgery training programs across North America. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Neil Feldstein, the Program Director at Columbia University in New York City. He uh, recently took the job over for Dr. Jeff Bruce, a friend of the show who's been on the podcast before. Dr. Feldstein, who previously served as Associate Program Director, has now been in the big chair himself for two years. And he has graciously given us time today to come on and share with you, our listeners, an inside look at the program at Columbia. Dr. Feldstein, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, as I said, we've had Dr. Bruce on the show before to talk about interviews, but not with an in-depth focus on Columbia per se. And of course, the training program at Columbia is an historic program in the country, well known to our listeners. But uh, why don't you take a moment, Dr. Feldstein, to introduce yourself, uh, let the listeners know who you are, and give us your take, your view on the flavor, the personality, and the culture of neurosurgery at Columbia. Sure. Thank you very much. So um, I'm a uh, pediatric uh, neurosurgeon. I've been uh, at Columbia since uh, 1994, having finished my residency at Baylor in 1990, and then fellowship at uh, NYU. So I've seen a lot of changes over the years. Um, I've had the uh, fortune of working with a lot of really uh, top-notch neurosurgeons over the, I'll say, decades now, uh, many of who are still at Columbia, which makes it such an incredible uh, teaching opportunity for the residents. Uh, There's been a lot of changes. We're still undergoing changes, many of which started uh, as Sandra Connolly became our new chairman just two years ago, um, we have always been a seven-year program. Uh, historically, our research, which is very heavy, uh, was set up as a uh, two- and five-year rotation with the thought that programs or projects could be started in the second year uh, and then carried over through the junior uh, residency portion and then picked up again in the fifth year. Um, there was a sense from our active residents as well as the applicants, and they're a very strong part of this, that it would be preferable to have the two years back to back. We really didn't see any objection to this. So uh, last year we uh, converted uh, by shifting uh, the residents around a bit and uh, starting now, uh, the research years are in the fourth and fifth uh, years of residency. Um, so the uh, new interns will spend uh, a year, uh, as I think most interns now, where they're on the neurosurgical service for six months. They're in the neuro ICU as their neurology rotation for three months. And obviously that's very heavily weighted still towards neurosurgical skill sets. Uh, and then three months on general, general surgery, which includes a month in the emergency room, which is great for their future, uh, a month in the um, surgical ICU, and then a month on anesthesia. So all things that are really very helpful. Uh, they then go uh, into junior residency uh, for uh, two years. Uh, that'll then be followed by their two uh, research years, which I'll get back to in a second, and then their senior and chief year. And the senior and chief year really both function as chief years. Um, the uh, subspecialties are each assigned a senior or a chief, uh, which is covered by uh, one of the four or five uh, residents. 
and then they'll have junior residents working with them on those services as well. The uh, new uh, thing that we're hoping to start, it would have started last year, but the pandemic uh, set things back, as you'll see, um, was to offer a rotation in London. Um, it was supposed to have started this past July. We're hoping uh, with the uh, blessings of our uh, hospital uh, that we'll be able to start in July 2022 uh, and send somebody for 12 months uh, to do a surgical rotation in London. Uh, they will still be able to do their research uh, as long as it's not bench research, obviously, um, and keep that going while they're there as well. Um, we uh, were very clear to uh, the applicants. In fact, yesterday, uh, we could talk about this a little later, we had our first uh, group of uh, applicants in our uh, virtual interview process uh, to make it very clear to them that it's not mandatory uh, to go to London. I think everyone's going to want to go, but it's not mandatory. Um, there may be a year where only one of the two residents wants to go, in which case it'll be a 12-month rotation. Uh, and if two want to go, that'll be two six-month rotations. And on the really off chance that neither want to go, since it is two years of research, it's very likely that someone, uh, presumably in the fourth year, will want to go while the two people in the fifth year won't want to go. So I think it'll always work out pretty well. Um, so that's really exciting for us. Uh, and as I say, everyone's uh, agreed to this. Now it's just a matter of lifting the restrictions uh, on both sides of the ocean. But uh, we're, we're optimistic we can get this done and started by July. You know, that's so exciting, Dr. Feldstein. And particularly, I, I love when I get to talk to these programs and somewhere that has such a storied history and a storied past is Columbia to hear that under new leadership, there's still change. There's still new ideas and new aspects to the program moving forward. Things are always in evolution. I, I wonder, are there any new things in the works there at Columbia besides these that we've just discussed? Uh, so the really big news uh, is that as we had put it on a hiatus for a little while, but our program has always been designated as a 2323 program, we held off hiring the third resident for a couple of years uh, because the residents had a feeling that they weren't operating as much uh, as they'd like to. Um, but now we found we've expanded a lot of our surgical rotations and locations, and it's near impossible to run the service with only two residents. So it wasn't listed in the ERAS for anyone this year, but they'll see that uh, we are now going to take three residents again this year and get back almost certainly on our 3232 cycle. So that was a, a huge surprise, I think, to the uh, applicants who were interviewing with us yesterday. Um, it will not be a problem for us uh, to uh, maintain operative skills. Uh, we will be uh, expanding outside of the Columbia. Milstein Shoney Children's Hospital New York um, foundations. Uh, and so we actually, we do need to do this. Um, over the last several years, we've made uh, huge expansions into what's called the Ock Spine Center, which previously was called the Allen Hospital, which is a community hospital that NYP uh, owns about uh, two miles north of the main campus where the undergrad has the football fields. And that hospital has uh, much of it converted now to be a spine center for both complex 
and uh, routine uh, both uh, neurosurgery spine and orthopedic spine. And it's become a complete full rotation that um, we could put probably at least two and maybe even three residents up there. So to maintain that, we really do need the manpower. Um, in addition to that, hospitals also purchased a hospital uh, in Westchester called Lawrence Hospital, and we would like to expand into there. Significantly, that will require a resident. Uh, and in addition, uh, we're working to um, open up uh, and expand into the uh, Bronx uh, VA hospital, first on a research basis, but then probably on a clinical basis. So with all this happening, that's five different facilities, we really do need the extra resident. And that, as I say, doesn't really include the fact that one resident will likely be away at all times now uh, on the London rotation. So with all that, I think that 3232 makes sense. Um, I don't think there'll be any issue about uh, surgical volume. Uh, our real concern now is being able to cover all the cases at all the sites. Excellent. Well, Dr. Feldstein, I won't, uh, I won't ask you to waste your and I breath uh, talking about New York City. Uh, I think it's a city that speaks for itself, but perhaps for some of our applicants who maybe have not visited the city, who won't be able to visit during the virtual inter interviews this year, or at least won't be able to visit the region of the city where you're located, maybe speak a bit about what part of the city your main hospital's in, where the residents tend to live. And I guess as a group, you, you know, we all know what New York can offer, the culture, the restaurants, the excitement, but maybe more so as a group, what do the residents tend to do in the city when they're not in the hospital? I'm going to try to keep this to a minimum because I could talk quite a while about this. Of course, of course. Um, I am passionate about New York City. I am one of the res one of the attendings that live in Manhattan. I love city life. Um, I would not uh, be able to live outside of the city. The uh, residents primarily cluster near the medical center when we are the upper part of Manhattan, really at the uh, entrance to the GW Bridge, actually. That's where the, the main campus is in the 160s. Um, but there are no policies. Uh, over the years, residents have lived both in the Midtown area. Uh, they've lived on the Upper East Side, the Upper West Side. And some have actually lived across the GW Bridge in New Jersey. Um, I'm not a fan of it because bridge traffic could be hectic. Uh, but that said, it's really up to them wherever they want to feel uh, most comfortable. It's pretty easy. Uh, you know, obviously residents uh, tend to come to the hospital early in the morning. There's very little traffic. Uh, there have been residents that have taken subways. Residents take uh, bicycles. Residents take motor scooters. Um, we've had residents who rollerblade to the hospital. It's pretty easy, actually. Um, so it's really, it's where they want to live. Um the city life uh, is phenomenal. Uh, most residents, uh, I suspect, do head uh, downtown or way downtown to the village scene. Uh, restaurants are open almost 24 hours a day. The bars are open almost 20 hours, 24 hours a day. Uh, nightclubs. Um, so the nightlife really doesn't ever end. It's whatever you want. Um, sports venues uh, abound. Uh, Major League Baseball football, soccer, hockey, uh, basketball, if I didn't say it, um, multiple teams all year round. We are walking distance from Yankee Stadium. Uh, so many uh, residents will get tickets 
sometimes we'll even get off, you know, chance to go to a, a, a noon game, uh, but certainly weekend and night games. So that's a very common thing for everyone to do. Uh, in addition to that, uh, while you think of it, it's a city, we still have Central Park, which is a amazing oasis. It's about, let's say about three by one mile uh, in uh, size uh, with about a six mile running loop um, and uh, just phenomenal where place to go to, to burn off uh, steam. Um, they often will get together, congregate there, um, but they will go um, paint, what is it called? Paintballs or whatever that sport is. God knows. I don't know it. Right. Uh, <laughs> doing that. Um, but they may get together, uh, go to clubs. They may get together, uh, go on hikes, um, go on just sort of quasi sort of picnics in the park. Um, there are places to climb uh, as far as local mountains. There are ski resorts within driving distance. Uh, we are um, uh, served by three major airports between um, New Jersey and LF, uh, uh, which we call JFK um, and LaGuardia. Uh, so it's very easy to get really anywhere in the world. A lot of our residents do travel uh, during vacation time. I think they get about, I want to say four, week, four weeks a year of, of vacation time. Um, so that does give them the opportunity to travel really anywhere. And since we're served by so many large um, airports, it's pretty easy to get wherever they want to go. Um, so I think they, they partake of all those things. Um, we are also right at the water's edge. Um, so many people will uh, go to the um, beaches either on uh, the Jersey Shore uh, or on Long Island. Um, so again, there's an amazing amount of stuff to do and it's very close by. Uh, it's really a matter of what their wishes are. Um, some are married, have children, have things that they do for their families. Other are single. Again, it doesn't really matter. There, there are plenty of opportunities and things are always open. So whether you're getting off for a long weekend or just for a night, there's something to do. Well, as confessed, you're clearly a lover of the city and a passionate <laughs> New Yorker. Um, you can always fall back on the tourism bureau. Uh, but uh, I think uh, to respect your time, we'll we'll wrap things up here. And I just, for the listeners, want to underscore perhaps the most important point is that just to announce again, Columbia will be taking three residents this year, three residents. So anyone dead set on in uh, ending up in New York and particularly at Columbia, your chances are going up. Um, yes. Dr. Hey. Phil. I told them it was 50%. I'm not sure the numbers of the math work out, but <laughs> increased you know. by 50. Yep. Yep. 150% so of the starting point. Yep. Um, yeah. and, and I'll just put a little plug because I, I did get to interview in person at Columbia and the hospital is a beautiful facility. You can feel the history of the place when you walk through the halls and some of the conference rooms and the work areas where we got to sit and talk with the residents and the attendings, you really feel uh, the weight of history in the building. And it, it's a beautiful facility um, and a great group of residents that I really enjoyed spending the day and night with. Um, they, they took us to the Standard Beer Garden, which is one of my favorite, favorite uh, venues <laughs> within the city. So a uh, wonderful group of people that, of course, gave us Dr. Rick Komatar, a good friend of the podcast who's been on a few times and who was a good friend and mentor to me during medical school. So um Dr. Feldstein, we really appreciate your time coming on today to give our listeners an inside look at what neurosurgery at Columbia University has to offer. Thank you, sir. 
Thank you. And to all the applicants, best of luck. Yes, it's a very stressful time, but it's also the, probably one of the most exciting times of your life. You will actually start to do what you really want to do by July. So I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, and for those uh, that are on the interview trail who see us, please make sure you stop by and say hello. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.